Continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, we are in, in uh, John, chapter, John chapter 8, <clears throat> reading from verse 12. And, and this is actually a portion that um, we, had, we had read verse 12 last time. This is the fifth of, of seven discourses of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel according to John. This is the fifth of, of seven of them. And this is during the latter end of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And uh, uh, it, it talked about in, in John chapter 7 that Jesus had stood up on the last day, great day of the feast and said something. But nonetheless, because this is not a chronological gospel, only Luke is chronological, and so that's, we're using Luke as our template here. Uh, but but this is, this is indeed happening also at, at the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And this is six months before Jesus is going to be crucified because we know that this is his last Feast of Tabernacles and then it's the following Passover where the crucifixion takes place and there's a six-month period between the, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover. So let's start reading in verse 13, actually, of John chapter 8. So the Pharisees said to him, You testify about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And so, so this portion, it's interesting because Jesus has a lot of different things to say and he's going back and forth and talking with the Pharisees, talking with the people. But let's, let's look in, in verse 24. Jesus says something quite profound here. He says in verse 24, Therefore I say to you, that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus makes it very clear. There is this, this thought among some today that Jesus never said anything that was offensive. Um, if I said some of the things that Jesus said, uh, um, I'd probably get in trouble. But Je- Jesus said some really strong things. And he said, in verse 24, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe in me, you, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Very specific, very clear. There is only one way, and that's to believe that Jesus is he. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus is the Messiah. For them, it was to recognize him as the messianic person. It was very clear. Let's, let's look down in verse 31 and 32. Jesus was saying to those... Uh, it, well, let me read verse 30. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So we see that among these crowds that were gathered together around him, this was in the temple compound. There were small gatherings all going on during this feast. Jesus is teaching. Some of those believe on him. So remember what happened after the the unpardonable sin that was proclaimed that was going to occur, and it would occur in 70 AD, the judgment of that, individuals could get saved out of this. But that judgment was going to come, but individuals could get saved out. In verse 30 it says, And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So some individuals were coming and believing on him here in Jerusalem. Verse 31, And so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He says very clearly now to those who are believing in him, he says, 
if you will continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So in other words, to believe on him is the first step, or else there's dying in our sins. But he says, if you continue in my word, then you will be disciples of mine. This carries through to today, very clearly. If we continue in his word, then we are his disciples. Not everyone who believes in Jesus as Lord and, can, and, and believes in their heart that, Jesus is, it, it, that, that he's risen from the dead. Not all of these are disciples. He says, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples. If I could drive one thing home to you to take away from this class when you graduate and go away, it would be this. Get in His Word. Learn to get in His Word daily. Daily meditation on His Word. There is great blessing. He says, you get in My Word, you'll be My disciple. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. By getting in His Word, you will be free. Well, free from what? And he's going to clarify in this chapter that you are a slave to sin. That we are slaves to sin. There is no easy way out of this. You say, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin. I'm not. You're going to end up sinning. You are a slave to sin. He says, the only way out of this is to walk as a disciple of mine. And you will be free from this. You want to have the power to overcome sin? This is not just a lofty ethic that somebody could say, I think I'll just follow these principles. Because they're good principles. You can't. You cannot without the grace of God being there in your life. And so let's look in verse, uh, verse 34. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. And so, Jesus goes on, he says in, in, in verse um, 34, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And this is talked about in four or five times in, in Romans. It says how we were slaves to sin, and the way to overcome being slaves to sin is to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it very clear. You will be disciples of mine if you're in my word. If you're in his word. And I know you're very busy as students, but I assure you, if you are too busy to spend time in his word, then you're too busy. Because you need to start spending time in his word. And this is daily. The Bible clearly states that there is a blessing that comes on daily meditation. It is daily being in His Word. Let's look down in verse, uh, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Look at what he says to these people who are opposing him. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Jesus ever say anything that might be offensive to people? Uh, that's what he said. So if you have this impression that Jesus never has said anything that really upset anybody, you're wrong. You're wrong about the way Jesus was. If you do justice to the text, you see that he was very clear with his words. And very powerful with his words. Because, and we've talked about this before, the feeling among the Jews was that if you were a Jew, and that remains today, if you're a Jew, you have a, a part in the kingdom. 
If just by being Jewish, you have a part in the kingdom. There is that belief among the Jews. And Jesus is saying, that's not the case. He says, your father is the devil. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. And that's why you want to kill me, because you're learning it from your father. That's what he says. And in verse 56, let's jump on down to verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So Jesus said in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, what is he talking about? He says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Abraham is seeing it. He is speaking as if Abraham is very much alive. That's what he's saying. He's speaking as if Abraham is alive. If we go back and we look in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. This is exactly the portion, the the type of thing that Jesus speaks about over and over again. The eternal life of the believer in him. Eternal life of the believer in him. Look in John chapter 11. Just turn over to John chapter 11, and you'll see uh, two very powerful verses. Verse 25 and 26. Jesus says in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, do you believe this? These two verses are so powerful that when a believer dies, they're the most comforting verses that you can give a person when a believer has died. In fact, there's a very famous man, who, who, uh, a, a big Houstonian, a billionaire who, who recently passed away. And I sent a message to his son. I sent an email to his son. And, I, and, and uh, uh, this man was very much a believer. I had had lunch with him on certain occasions. And I'm a, a, I know his son much better than I know his father. And I sent a message to his son. And uh, it was these two verses. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And after these two verses, which I put in quotes, I wrote, I believe. And I sent it to him. And he immediately replied. He said, and he believed, and so do I. Thank you. It means so much to me. This verse is so powerful. I have seen this verse just just rock people's world. When loved ones around them have died. And even if I don't know them very well. I send them this verse if I'm confident that that person was a believer. And it really changes their life. This is amazing truth that when the believer passes away, what happens? Their spirit is immediately with Jesus. Jesus will at one time during the resurrection, during the resurrection both of the good and, 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 and the evil, it says that he will reconstitute our bodies. He'll put it back together. There'll be a physical resurrection. But as soon as the believer dies... He's in the presence, or she's in the presence of Jesus. That is the promise. This is why he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. He speaks as if Abraham is very much alive. 
This is what he does. Maybe if you're so smart, you know that Abraham wasn't alive at this time, that's fine. But Jesus knew that he's alive. Jesus speaks of the believer, that when they pass, the believer is very much alive. Very much alive. And then he says, he says to them, truly, in verse 58 of John chapter 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, to you, before Abraham was born, I am. This word, I am, comes from the book of Genesis. This is what God called himself. Moses said, what should, who should I tell Pharaoh and, and who's sending me? Who should I tell the Jews who's sending me? He says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. That is what he called himself. I am who I am. I am was his name. God named himself, I am. That's why when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, in our Western mindset, we will say, oh, Jesus never really proclaimed himself to be God or the Messiah. In our Western mindset, we may think that the Jews understood exactly what he was saying. Because it says, as soon as he said this, therefore they picked up stones to throw at Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They were ready to kill him for a man proclaiming himself as God. In our Western mindset, we would think that this is not a, proclaim, a proclamation of, of, of Godship. It is. In the, it, in the Jewish mindset, it very much was for a man to say before Abraham was, I am. All right, let's look at John chapter 9. The healing of the man born blind. And as he passed, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus said, it was neither this man that sinned nor his parents, but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can do when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay from the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went away and he washed and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Isn't this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man who is... And he was saying, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. And they brought him to the Pharisees and the man who was formerly blind. Now it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man, again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Okay, so there is a man born blind. We've covered this before. There were three miracles that the Pharisees themselves taught 
that only Messiah would be able to do. One was to heal a Jewish leper. Because from the completion of the law till that day, no Jewish leper had ever been healed of leprosy. Naaman had been healed of leprosy, but he was not a Jew. Miriam was healed of leprosy, but that was not from the completion of the law. That was before the law was complete. There's three chapters on what to do with a Jewish leper when they are healed. And never was there an example of it, of what the priest is to do. That's why as soon as Jesus healed the Jewish leper, what did he say? Go back and show yourself to the priest. That was a testimony only Messiah could do. The next thing that they taught only Messiah could do was to cast out a demon from a man who was a mute. A man who could not speak. Because you had to first identify, what is your name? The demon would identify himself or herself, and would actually it's himself, would identify himself, and then it would, it would, uh, they would cast out in, in that name. Jesus was able to cast out a man who had a demon and was mute. And based on that, they said, well, yeah, he did it. He did the Messianic miracle, but he only did it because he's, um, he, he's actually the head of all demons. And it was on that basis that the unpardonable sin came. Now, this is the third of three things that only Messiah would be able to do. This is the third demonstration. And the third thing is to heal a man born blind. If he was not born blind and he was healed, that is not a messianic miracle. But they themselves taught it. And how do I know this? Because you can read. You can read in Jewish writings today in the Talmud that was already written in this time that taught this. This is the third of the messianic miracles is that a man born blind. So he sees this man born blind, and there's an interesting question. His disciples say to him, is this man, was he born blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? Well, that his parents sinned is not that odd, because we know from from Exodus, Exodus actually 34, verse 6 and 7, that the sins of a father can be visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. But the Pharisees taught that also a person can be born blind if they themselves had sinned before they were born. And, and the concept was that there were two dispositions. There was good and there was evil. Generally, good prevails inside, in, in, inside the womb. But once in a while, bad prevails. The fetus, the, 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 the baby inside kicks the mother with animosity. Sin comes and they are born blind. You say, well, why, were they, why did they teach this? This is in their teachings. You can read this today. It still exists. So that's why they asked this odd sort of thing. Was it because he sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it's in, in, it was neither. This is just so that the glory of God can be manifest. I'm going to show you something amazing. So he goes to this man. And remember, Jesus does not heal publicly anymore. After he proclaimed the unpardonable sin, all public healings stopped. He healed privately. He healed Gentiles publicly. But all Jews were only healed privately. The other thing, he's always spoken parables. It says, after that day, he always spoke in parables, except to his disciples, then he would make all things clear to them. That's why in John chapter 8, many of them didn't understand him. So what does he do? He, he spits on the ground. He makes mud out of the spittle with the dirt, and he applies it to the man's eyes. And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and you will see. This is not public anymore in that Jesus now is separated by some distance. The pool of Siloam isn't near the Temple Mount. It's all the way down at the bottom of the city of Jerusalem. There are many pools there. This is the hardest one to get to, actually. 
It's far away. But there would be many people at that pool during the Feast of Tabernacles, because remember, that's where the priests get the water and carry it all the way on up, do the Song of Ascent, go on up to the Temple Mount, as we had talked about, and dump that water out. Every day they would do that for the seven-day feast. So there were lots of people around that pool. Jesus sends them, but Jesus is not there. He's not going to be there when this happens. He goes down to the Pool of Siloam, which is very hard to get to today from the Temple Mount. There's... You know, if, if, if a person is blind in Jerusalem today, it's got to be very hard. Because there are no curb cuts, there's stones going up and down. But you can imagine in that day. So here's a blind man having to go to the Pool of Siloam. He's got this mud on his eyes. He goes down to the Pool of Siloam. He washes. And he can see. And the people said, what happened? He says, this man that they called Jesus He applied this mud to my eyes. He told me to go wash it off and I would see. And I would see. I'm seeing now. I was born blind and I see. Now you say, well, why would he do this? Why would he do this thing of of applying this mud to the man's eyes from, from the spittle? You know, you only see this. So Jesus before, he had healed many people before. Remember, Jesus healed many people. Sometimes he just spoke the word, they were healed. Sometimes he'd lay his hands, he'd touch them, and they would be healed. Sometimes he would do it multiple times. They would see men say, well, I kind of see, but it looks like, like people looking like trees, which means the man had not been born blind because he knew what a tree looked like. And then Jesus touched him again, and, and he was fully healed. Why would Jesus go ahead and make mud and apply it like this? Remember what Jesus always had contempt for. And that was the laws of men. He said, the laws of men make the word of God of no effect. You have straddled these people with so many rules and regulations, they, can't even, they don't even know what is the law of Moses anymore. Remember around the Sabbath day that you should not work on the Sabbath. There were over a thousand rules around the Sabbath day that the Pharisees that the, had added to the Sabbath day that are observed to this day. You know, you can't push a button on an elevator on the Sabbath day if you're an Orthodox Jew. You can't. Now, a Gentile could walk up and push it for you, but you can't push the button. We've been in Orthodox Jewish homes in Israel on Saturday, and, and, and uh, uh, they, w- they would have my son push something because, you know, on the game Trouble, you push the thing. and a, They couldn't push the thing. I mean, all these rules on the Sabbath day. And so, so Jesus is showing his contempt for those rules because look what it says in Shabbat 108, Shabbat 108, verse 20. Shabbat 108, verse 20. So this is the rules and regulations that you can read today in the Talmud. In Shabbat 108, verse 20, it says this. In addition to saying you can't heal on the Sabbath, which Jesus just did again, it says, to heal a blind man on the Sabbath, it is prohibited to inject wine into his eyes. It is also prohibited to make mud from spittle and smearing it in his eyes. Why of all ways would Jesus make mud out of spittle and smear it on his eyes? If not contempt for what they were in te- indeed teaching. He took the very thing that they said, if you're not to heal on the Sabbath... And here's how you're definitely not to do it. And Jesus did it exactly that way. That's his contempt for the rules of men that surround the rules of men. That's why I never want to burden you with rules of men. 
and never want to do that. If you want to take up something for yourself, that's fine. If you want to eat gluten-free for yourself, that's fine. If you want to be vegetarian for yourself, that's fine. But as soon as you start putting rules that are not in the Bible upon someone else, we're being just like Pharisees. I was with a, a man that I really respect not too long ago, and he was telling me, you've got to teach these young people not to dance. I said, okay, I'm willing to do that. If I can find in the New Testament, it instructs them not to dance. I will immediately teach them not to dance. And I, and I immediately, I, I immediately uh, uh, looked up in, in you know, my little electronic concordance on my iPhone to look up the word dance in the New Testament to see if there was any, and I, and I said, it's not there. And I asked him, I said, it's not there. I don't see it. He says, well, I'm going to go home and check my Bible. I said, okay, you check your Bible. If I see it in the New Testament, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him. And then, you know, we got together again. I said, have you found it? He said, I didn't find it, but let me tell you something about dancing. So I'm not going to tell you not to dance because it's not in there. It's not in there. They put rules upon men. And Jesus hated those rules because what happens is somehow we think we are godly when we follow these rules of men. Now, you may not want to do certain things culturally. That's up to you. You may not want to raise offense. The Bible talks, us, talks about us not raising offense in somebody else. So, so, if you're ever with this man that I really respect, you may not want to dance around him. Just as, as an issue of being an offense to him. But there is nothing sinful in dancing that I could find in the New Testament. If you can find it, let me know. And, and uh, so you see why Jesus healed this man this very way. The very way that he was told not to do it. He heals this man and then comes an interrogation. Because... This man had been taught all his life by the Pharisees, only Messiah will be able to heal you. Only Messiah can do this sort of healing. Only Messiah can do this. It was very public when that man started to see. This man was full-grown man because they start to question him. And now they're really stuck with the dilemma. How are they going to deal with this? Because the Pharisees themselves had taught only Messiah would be able to do this. Only Messiah could do this. So now they're stuck. So they've got to deal with this some way. So it says when the man was healed, it says in verse 13, they brought the man to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Why bring him to the Pharisees? Because you guys are the ones who taught us. Man born blind, messianic miracle. Now it was the Sabbath day on which Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also were asking him again, how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and washed, and I see. Wow. On the Sabbath day, exactly how he was not to do it, he did it. Verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Remember, that was from Shabbat 108. He does not keep our Sabbath rules. If he would be from God, he would keep our Sabbath rules. This man, who I deeply respect, feels that if people were godly, they would not dance. On what basis? I don't know. No scriptural basis. 
This is why we really have to be careful about putting upon people things that maybe God only means for ourselves. You can put upon yourself anything you want. You want to be a vegetarian, you want to be a vegan, you want to you know, have, have the, uh, I don't know, the hunter-gatherer diet and all these things that are going around, whatever, that's fine for yourself. But as soon as we put it upon another, it is legalism. The Pharisee said he doesn't obey our rules, he couldn't be godly. But others were saying, how can it be, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So even among the Pharisees, there's a division. And now we're going to read about what took place in this interrogation. The types of things. So they interrogate this man, and then they interrogate his parents to confirm, was he really born blind? Because somehow they've got to convince themselves that he wasn't really born blind. So they're going to check with his parents, and then they're going to check back with him again. Because they're stuck now. They're stuck by their own teaching. Jesus did, this is the third of the Messianic miracles that only Messiah would be able to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of life. The truth of life for the believer. That in the believer there is life everlasting. That he who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. I believe. Father, I pray that you would impress upon these young people that truth that they would understand that in the passing of a believer, it is as Jesus said, they are just sleeping because they are very much in the presence of God at that very moment. They're in the presence of God. Father, help them to take hold of that truth because Jesus believed it. And this is what He spoke about. And He says to them, Do you believe? And Father, I pray that You would help them to see even the way that Jesus displayed again and again that He was the Messiah, very God come in the flesh to visit mankind and deliver His people. Father, I pray that they be able to see from Your Word the truth of it. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. Your grace be upon them. Father, I pray that You take them and make them strong in You and in Your Word. Father, Your mercies rest upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.